Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Penny Timberlake. Penny is a highly regarded aesthetic nurse specialist and education manager in the cosmetic industry. Penny has over 15 years experience throughout Australia, New Zealand and the UK in specialist roles such as clinical trainer, nurse injector, medical affairs and education management. She has consulted and worked with some of the most regarded names in the industry such as the Harley Medical Group in the UK, Allegan, Dr. Michael Moroshnik and Candela Lasers. Penny has trained thousands of advanced as well as emerging non-surgical cosmetic doctors and nurses in the art of anatomically focused cosmetic consultation, injection technique, and laser enhancement. She has also consulted and treated countless non-surgical cosmetic patients on matters ranging from simple cosmetic enhancement treatments to corrective and advanced procedures. Penny has been called upon over the years to assist some of the biggest industry leaders for injectable training events, including Dr. Mibsir Damal, Dr. Kern de Bull, and Dr. Stephen Liu, to name a few. Penny holds a Bachelor of Nursing and was one of Australia's most experienced and passionate non-surgical aesthetic nurse specialists, as well as medical education expert. Good morning, Penny. Hi, how are you? We're really good. Did you have a happy new year? Lovely new year, thank what you. What did you get up to over Christmas? Absolutely nothing. Good. We had a beautiful staycation and... Um, staycation. Staycation, yes, around freshwater and hung out with the kids and spent most of our time at the beach or the pool, so I can't complain. Nice. Mm. Now, Penny, do you want to briefly summarise, We, you know, we've already spoken about your bio to our listeners at the start, but just very quickly try and summarise where you started to how, where you are now. Yes, absolutely. Possible. Elevator pitch. My elevator pitch. All right, here we go. Um, I'm a registered nurse and I started my career in New Zealand um, working in recoveries theatres, um, emergency kind of high dependency background. I then moved to the UK, continued that for a couple of years and then moved into the cosmetic industry. And why did you move to the UK, my homeland? Your homeland. Come meet the Queen, of course. Why does anyone else move Beautiful to the UK? New Zealand. Fish and chips <laughs> to very cold and grey England. Yes, but you have Europe and we don't uh, have that from here. So lots of travel. And Did you actually go on little weekend I, breaks here and there? Every second weekend. Okay, I, I never did that. I really? for 30 and, years. And oh you're earning goodness. pounds too. That, that was a really big factor mm. too, absolutely. And at that time, um, agency nurses were paid huge money. Mm. So, yeah, we did really well out of it and So traveled. did you go there with a the plan to just continue, you know, emergency and theatre nursing? Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And was that easy to get? In a job or did you have to get a special visa or how does that work? Just yes, for- you have to get a registration change. So I had to get a UK registration to nurse and that took nine months. Oh, wow. Um, I was lucky back then. I didn't have to do English exams and volunteer work where I believe now you've got to do a lot to get an English registration. So well, English is in, when you say an English exam, you mean the language or? Yes, even for your language. So if you're from an English speaking country, they want to test your English. Was, I did that when I moved to Australia. Wow. There you go. It's called Absolutely. IELTS. Mm. Is that the same one? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I got full marks, by the way. Just in case you're worried. It'd be a bit embarrassing if you failed the English test. It yeah. would be bad. You yeah. basically just turn up and be normal and you will pass. That's right. Okay. Obviously, if you're Chinese, it's different. So. Yes, it's a bit harder. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so um, nine months of registration work. I was actually working in the Royal Melbourne Hospital at the time when I was waiting for my registration. Um, and, yeah, headed across there with the idea of travelling and working and spending a few years in the UK. And how long were you there for? Four years. Right. So tell us what you got up to and how you ended up doing cosmetic nursing. Yes. I had a bad day um, in recovery. And, yeah. <laughs> so it always starts. I had a bad, a bad day. day. That's right. That's how every new story starts is from a bad day. Um, and when I say bad day, it's probably more accurate to say sad day. Okay. Mm, and it wasn't any different to most days. We had people coming in out of recovery. I was working in the non-surgical unit and um, a gentleman came in who was in his 40s and he was going in for um, removal of a brain tumour, or so we thought. He went in, he had the operation and he was an open and shut case, which means they opened him up, it was too far integrated and they closed him back up and he came back out again. And he was unaware of this. So, of course, he woke up believing that he'd had the operation, they'd removed a lot of the tumour and that he was going to have quite a successful prognosis. Unfortunately, the ward couldn't take him back either. So he was stuck with us in recovery for a very long time and I had to look after him. And he went on about his beautiful family and his young kids and how he was living in London, but he was now going to move back to his country town, all of these types of things. And I sat there with that and I thought, oh, my goodness, this man isn't probably going to be with us in six months' time and he doesn't know that. And it just really hit me that day and I decided I needed a break. So it was, you know, quite a few years of emergency nursing and working and recovery and I yeah. just wanted to change. So we had a magazine sitting on the table and it was um, in there there was agencies and I rung them up and said, I want to change. What else is there that's out there? And I really enjoyed enjoyed working with the reps that came into theatres and, you know, the orthopaedic reps and the way they spoke and their knowledge. And I thought maybe something like that would be good. Um, and the only job they had available was in the cosmetic industry, which I knew absolutely nothing about. In fact, I didn't even own my lipstick at this point in time. So it was a, a huge shift for me to think that that would be um, a good fit. And I started working at that stage for the Harley Medical Group, right. who are one of the biggest providers of, at that time, surgical and non-surgical um, treatments in the UK. Yeah. They had 16 sites at the time. That's huge. Yeah, which was great and um, quite the transition. So I went to Monday to Friday and, um, you know, uniform and, and very different approach to, to nursing, but enjoyed it. It was very social, different, and it was, I guess, just a real change, which is what I needed at that time. So were you doing a similar role, but in the private sector or...? Uh, I moved more out of theatres and recovery and started doing more treatments, so um, laser hair removal, fillers, things like that. And a big portion of that as well was working with the surgical side of it, but more in consulting. Yes. So they used to call us nurse consultants, and we would speak to people who were interested in having surgery um, and you know go through their medical history, make sure that they were fine, do their post-ops, things like that as well, as well as doing some of the treatments. That's great. So yeah. how do you train? It's probably changed since you trained in sure. the UK, but how did you get into injectables? Yes. Because that's such a commonly asked question. Absolutely. Look, I was really lucky to be, I guess, involved with a company that support training of their staff. And because of that, we had huge influence from the doctors who came in. We had a lot of training from the reps. Um, being that we were quite sizable as a company too, the reps really look after you um, from external companies. For example, Allegan and QMed at the time were the big ones that we really worked with. Yep. Um, and they came in and did a lot of training and also just really using mentors. So I think for me, starting with a company that has that type of presence big enough to get the training in that we needed and had a good 
support program, which the Harley Medical Group did. They sent us an eight weeks training to do with the company and, um, you know, all the training that we needed, both practically and theoretically, I guess, to do our job, yeah. they sent us to do. So that was a really big benefit that I think a lot of people don't get when they start out in the industry. Okay. And did you find that a big change sort of, you know, the, the, I guess the traditional hospital nurse is more of a support type uh, staff, I guess, but suddenly you were the practitioner. Oh, 100%. And it's a big shift. And I think too, also, you go from giving a service to then asking people to pay for a service. And that's a really big shift and change as well. And I think when you come into the industry, what you realise very quickly is you're selling yourself. So people come in, yes, to get a treatment, but they're actually coming in for an experience and they're coming in to relate to somebody and to have a connection with somebody. And you need to be able to do that very, very quickly. Whereas with an award, yes, you get that connection, but it's very different. It's on a helping level as opposed to a selling level. And regardless of how you look at the cosmetic industry, you are selling service and you're selling yourself within that. Yeah, so it's interesting seeing the the challenges that some nurses have when they're trying to reconcile in their own mind that someone's not going to die if they don't have a cosmetic treatment. And then the struggling with that process of, as you said, having to sell themselves mm. um, is a challenge that I, that I personally have seen a lot. I mean, yeah, what is... What, what are your experiences? 100%. And that's what I find too in a training role, which I'll, I'll go into and, and spending a lot of time with nurses. And the first thing I say to them is, who are you? What do you want to be? And how do you want your customer to actually see you? Because you're not going in to um, help them in a, in a time of need. You're going to provide them a service. And that service and how you represent yourself within that service is actually what's going to make them come back again. The enhancement is important and the outcome is important. But there are plenty of injectors out there who give, I guess, not the best outcome cosmetically but are phenomenal people mm. and great with their clients and therefore people resonate with them and they want to come back again so you know it's really important to think about who you are what you represent and how you want to be seen and then also how you sell in your services and what you can offer as well as who you are it's a competitive market it's different mm. to working in a hospital well i guess you, it's an experience in a lot of ways as well it's not just as you said the physical treatment it's how they feel about you how you make them feel about themselves the whole experience being with you. I see that a lot. Yeah. You know, you're technically competent, but the personality or the way that they're communicating with the client and the experience they're giving just isn't there, which tends in my experience. And, you know, Jake, you might have some differing views is what separates an average injector to someone that's ultra successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Particularly, um, you know, from a commercial perspective. And that's the other thing too, mm. you particularly going from a public hospital where everything is free, you turn up, you give a patient what they need. And then suddenly you've got a patient who in front of you who says to you, I have a budget of $100 and what you know they need is $1,000 worth work. What, what do you do there? And I guess as a nurse, it's being really comfortable having those difficult conversations and saying, look, you know, what we can do for you is this today. And how do we set up that journey with you to make it ongoing. And again, we want these people to come back. It's different. In a hospital, you don't want them to come back again. You want them to get better. You want to do your job and you want them to go home and live a fantastic life. In the cosmetic industry, it's an ongoing journey. So you need these people coming back. So differentiating yourself as, a, I guess, a practitioner, not just as an, as an injector, is really, really important and something to really learn when you come across from a public sector. Do you think it's important that, well, not just a nurse, a doctor, um, I think it would probably be more unusual for a doctor to go straight into cosmetic medicine, but do you think it's important that a nurse does some time on the ward or in a clinic or GP practice to, I don't know, I guess understand their craft, sterility, patient care, communication, all that stuff before they go into cosmetic injecting, for example? My personal belief is having a holistic view of a patient or a 
client is the most beneficial way to get great outcomes. So I would certainly recommend anyone looking to come into the industry to certainly spend some time in hospital or a clinic um, to really, you know, solidify those nursing skills. And, and like you've just pulled up, asepsis and sterile mm. technique is so important. And I think you take that for granted when you've been trained that way. But it's such an important part of being a successful practitioner and having safe and um, you know efficacious outcomes for your patients. So absolutely doing some time, spending some time, doing some time. That sounds terrible. <laughs> spending some time. It's not jail. It's a great place to yeah. be um, and solidifying those skills. And also too, it, it gives you intuition. I think when you work in a hospital or with patients who are sick every day, you get this intuition about people. Yeah, a sixth sense about something's not quite right. A hundred percent. Or someone's ill. Or... Exactly. And, you know, cosmetic patients aren't always honest when they come in. They divulge to you what they need to um, sometimes to get their treatment. So I think having that, that sixth sense or that intuition around a holistic view of a, a patient and their wellness and their overall wellness is, is really important. And you really do get that, I think, when you've worked in a ward or a hospital or a clinic environment. Yeah. 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 So you did your eight weeks training, highly medical group, uh-huh. and you were doing injectables and some machine led therapies like laser hair remover, you said. Um, were you enjoying it? Like, I was. Um, you've got to remember, I guess, 15, 16 years ago when we started with fillers, we did nasolabial folds and a little bit of lip and that was about it. That was as, as much the as we really days. did. The good old days. <laughs> so it was really easy and people were satisfied really quickly, I think, with the outcomes that you could get. But for me, there was just probably not enough um, medical or therapeutic kind of I guess, engagement for me to be really interested. Um, so moving more into that surgical side and having a balance where I was doing the injecting and, and doing the therapeutic side, but also having that that balance of um, the surgical side, which I really enjoyed and loved about nursing, gave me a really nice balance. Um, but I was promoted to clinic manager, which was fantastic. So I spent a lot of time then in the commercial space, which was very new to me as a nurse. As we said before, things are free in a hospital. You open a cupboard and there's syringes and what you need and you you, mm. you know you utilize those. And moving to the cosmetic, I said the, the commercial side of it as a practice manager and a clinic manager, I had to then I guess, really work on that side of things and also make the practice successful and train people and make sure that we were giving that service and really start to understand the psyche of the patient and why they were coming to us versus other people and how we could capitalise on that. So it was a really great learn to start to really focus on that commercial side and understand the importance of that to our patients. And were you still injecting at that time or did you juggle the job or...? I was mainly managing and working more on the surgical side, but doing a little bit of injectables in the background. I actually employed somebody to come and do that for us full time. Actually, I had two doctors who'd come and do the botulinum toxin and I had a um, nurse that would come in who did most of our fillers and um, laser work, I guess, at that stage, but definitely kept a hand in it. The other really great thing about moving into the cosmetic industry is it is quite artistic. I know they talk about the art and the science and we kind of laugh about it, but it's a reality. If you've got a creative personality, it's a really beautiful creative outlet and mm. to see the journey of the patients and where you can take them it's really um, fulfilling yeah. and it's nice to see how happy and joyous they are when they come back and have this you know a tweak or a change Did and what that means notice or maybe you still do with your career mm. that you're doing now which we'll come to that clients in some way when they pay for a procedure are happier and have better satisfaction than someone who went for an emergency operation 
I have noticed that personally. A hundred percent because it's a personal choice. And I think if you look at the research, it generally shows it takes people even up to a couple of years to actually make the decision to really make a change or if it's a big change. Um, you know, and by the time they've gotten to that point and they're ready to, to pass over their money, they, they are really excited about that journey. Mm. I think it can go both ways. I think sometimes though, the expectation can be so great and <laughs> they expect it to be so life-changing that, you know, suddenly they're going to find the right husband and the, mm. you know. Because the, their frown line's gone. Exactly, exactly. So I think it's finding balance in that and consultating properly. But at the same time, yeah, people are really satisfied with their outcomes and they want to be there. It's a choice for them to come and see you. So yes. it's a privilege. Mm. It's, it's, it's the psychology of, like you said, why are clients coming to you and what has motivated them to think about this treatment? That's All right. those things you've got to manage as, a, as an injector. So 100%. Do you think um, there are any people who don't make good injectors? Like, can everyone be trained? I think from a technical perspective, um, you can train a technician. Yes, I mm. think so. That to do the actual pinpoint injecting, if we put if we put a pattern around it and we said you inject in these particular points and you did that with everybody, yes. Yes. I think what can't be trained is that charisma, that understanding and that intuition. Mm. Um, I think what can't be trained is um, self-interest as well. You know, you've got to want to do this as a mm. practitioner and you've got to put a lot of effort in it. So it's a partnership mm. and I think there's so much to learn and you can't give somebody that skill either. It's um, sort of like you can teach anyone how to paint, but not everyone can be an artist. 100%. And that's I, exactly And that's right. something that, I, again, you know, in my experiences over the years, you, 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 um, you sort of notice that like medicine is a very, um, it's a certain person that's drawn to medicine. And sometimes that same personality type is not someone that's artistically inclined. 100%. So it seems to be that challenge. You've almost got that like part artist, part medical practitioner, you know, um, you know, like the, the brain that would be drawn to medicine might not necessarily be the person that makes the great artist. And I think that's finding that personality type that, and someone who's got the ability to, you know, artistically inclined and then has the, mm. the capacity to, mm. to get through medicine, whether that be as a, as a doctor or a nurse. Have you employed people where it didn't work out for those yeah. reasons? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's the same. And it's, right. yeah, it, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's sad to watch because, you know, you can see they want to do it, but it's, mm. it's just, they don't have that X factor. hundred percent. And they can't see, I think, you know, you're, you're creating. So you're looking at something, I guess, on, in 2D and you're creating it to be 3D. That's mm. a, a way to look at it. And if you haven't got that creative for, I guess, foresight to see where you're going, you're never going to get the outcome that you're after. The other thing too is people just sometimes don't enjoy it. And I think they have this great idea that moving into the cosmetic mm. industry is going to be fun and it's glamorous, glamorous and, <laughs> you know, all these things. But the reality is, you know, it can't, it's really hard work and you've got to really practice that skill set to get really, really good at it. And also too, you're dealing with a different type of patient mm. and that doesn't suit everybody. And, you know, for that reason too, a lot of people do it for a year or two and decide it's not the um, the right choice for them and go back to, to regular, I guess, regular medicine. Yeah. So... Have you noticed any difference between how the cosmetic injectable industry works in the UK compared to Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So that was always my plan was to come back here and do 12 months working somewhere and then oh, open up a Harley Medical and be hugely successful. And it was so different when I came back. And, and what I mean by that is in the UK, it is quite conservative at the time. This is going back quite a few years now. Um, and it was very doctor led. Um, you know, but in saying that, it was very commercial. So it was very, everyone was very business savvy. It was, it was a different look and feel. People didn't talk about it as much as well. It was something you really did for you. Mm. And I came back to Australia and people are really experimental. 
and there's lots of boutique kind of clinics that are opened up and it's 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 um you know a, a very dynamic environment and and injectors were really willing to push those boundaries and there was treatments that people wouldn't touch or dare to touch in the UK it was very standardized back in that time and moving to Australia I just found the changes there were huge so you know there was a lot to learn and the patients were very different you know they want to talk about it and they tell you what they want and I found in the UK again this is going back a long time that to tease it out of people you, you really do and not only that too it takes them a very long time to get to you and when they're sitting there it's it's quite considered um, and they it's don't stiff want British lip yes lip. and they don't want people to know so it's really important to give that really natural look whereas here it was I want people to know and I couldn't understand that concept and what do you mean you want people to know that you've had your lips done and go down to Bondo a hundred percent. Look, it's a, it was a really different look and feel. And I think, you know, Australia's progressed a really long way since then. But the great thing about Australia and the injectors in Australia is they've really moved the industry along a really, really long way. And I certainly saw that working with Allegan. There was amazing things coming out of this country and, um, you know, amazing work and amazing ability. And because people were willing to, to give it a go, I guess, safely, yeah. obviously, where they could. Um, and the patients were ready to embrace that. And, and also, too, I mean, Australians, I think, cosmetically spend more than most countries in the world on enhancements so they're very open to trying new treatments and I think because of that I found when I came here it was a lot more progression that's on the injecting side from a business perspective though there wasn't commercialization so you had a lot of boutique cosmetic clinics who were doing really really well but no one had taken it to that next level so processes were very different you found because um you know the consultation probably was a little bit more haphazard in some cases um probably you know all of those types of things that made i guess these big oil well oil machines really successful in the uk hadn't started in australia when i moved over here at that stage very much a cottage industry yeah absolutely it was definitely in its infancy what year did you move back to australia 2007 Okay, so that was pre, um, I guess, the big chain clinic here in 100%, Australia. Absolutely. Right. There was no big chain clinics back in the time. There was a few, um, I guess, micro chains where you might have two or three. Yeah. Um, but certainly no one who'd really taken it and, and you know, really harnessed, I guess, a, a commercial acumen and moved that into the cosmetic What do you space. call them? High, high street clinics? Is that what you call them? Yeah, high street clinic. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't heard that term before. Yeah. It's a very English thing. We have a high street where we live in our town. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, that was my main difference. When mm. I moved here, I was blown away that you can go to Westfield and there would be five or six stores mm. that you can get your anti-wrinkles from. Yes. In the UK, like you said, it's it, it's not so much hidden away, but it's very, you know, there's one place to go to and everyone gets on the train and goes to central London and, and that's where you go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just much more available here. Mm. Um I guess because of the competition here now, the prices have been driven down somewhat. Hundred percent. So it's just a different market, and because that will pick up a different client. Absolutely, hundred percent. And maybe because people's budget, um, they've got more expendable budget, mm. should I say, here because of the prices are lower. Mm. Maybe they're more adventurous. I don't know. Yes. Or maybe it is just that. In Australia, we walk around half the year naked. And so our whole body, as well as face, is on show. Absolutely. And so maybe we're more open-minded mm. to do breast, body, lipo and injectables. I Absolutely. don't know. Absolutely. We're lifestyle conscious. And I think that's, you know, a big part of being Australian or, or from this part of the world is you come here and you live here because you want to be lifestyle orientated. And what fits into that is these cosmetic enhancements, like you say, because it's important to look and feel good um, to live that lifestyle that you're after. Yeah. Moving on to a topic that might be a little bit controversial is Mm. one of the things we've spoken about is how how much the industry's grown and moved and progressed and how many people are involved now both from a 
you know, a patient perspective and a, and a provider perspective. There's a lot of, I guess, jostling for positions and animosity between certain groups. So we've got cosmetic nurse injectors, sure. you've got plastic uh-huh. surgeons, you've got cosmetic physicians. Yeah. There seems to me like there's there's space for everyone, but it's it's pretty it's can be pretty aggressive out there. And obviously you've come from Allegan where you've seen, you've trained yes. doctors, you've trained nurses. What are your thoughts on this and how do we move to a point where everyone's happy and, you know, Absolutely. Including regulators, yeah. And that's the, the mm. point, exactly that. It comes down to regulation and I think patient safety has to be paramount. And you've brought up a couple of interesting things here and one of them was, you know, do you have to go and do nursing before you move into the cosmetic industry? And as you said, there is no doctors who come straight out of medicine and move straight into the cosmetic industry. There's some level of, um, I guess, experience in, in a medical field before coming in. And I think personal accountability is a big part of that as well. I think nurses can be amazing. Doctors can be amazing. All types of injectors can be phenomenal if they put patient safety first. They put, um, you know, limitations on themselves and where their experience are and they work within those and then, you know, continue to, I guess, partner. Um, you know, with educational places, particularly, you know, places like Allegan and, um, you know, all, all of those to, to really enhance their skill set. So I, I, I think there is room for everybody, but at the same time, regulations do need to change. I think patient safety is really important. And as it stands at the moment, there is no way of being a qualified practitioner in this area. So if you want to be a dermatologist, you go on and you do secondary level. There's a lot of areas, and even with nursing, you can do diplomas in, um, you know, different areas to enhance your skill, there's not a lot out there or it's not needed to move into this industry. And I think maybe that's something that could be looked into to really enhance this space and, and make it treated more like a medical space. Whereas at the moment, I think a lot of people look at this as beauty. Oh, it's just beauty. It's fine. It's not mm. a problem. I guess there's a lot of money involved as well there in is. this industry. So there's, you've got commercial uh, motivators as well as what you were saying. You do. But if you look at the age bracket from 18 to 65, which is who we're really going for, there's millions of patients. There's plenty of room for everybody. And at the prices that they are at the moment, um, it's affordable and people are going to find their niche. So those who want to spend X amount of dollars will go to that clinic. Those who want an experience and want to spend more will do that. It's not going to change. There's always going to be room for people to, to find what they need. What needs to change, I think, is personal accountability within the industry, how we treat our patients and what our expectations on ourselves are. And if we can regulate that somehow to fit in line with that, I think that's a really good thing. Mm. What we need to remember is no doctor or no nurse is trained in their training, in their degrees, to become a a cosmetic practitioner. So there's a lot of responsibility as a practitioner yourself to go out and learn how to do it properly. And even once you're working, you you need to maintain that, develop, learn new skills. A hundred percent. Um, That's exactly right. So bounce ideas around with colleagues. Of course you do. And mentorship, I think, is so important as well. You know, you're never at the top of the game. There's always somebody who's going to know something different to you and making sure you tap into that and having those strong mentors is really, really important. And from a safety perspective, from a nursing point of view, align yourself with a doctor who really takes this industry seriously and who's got really good experience and who can mentor you as well because things do go wrong. Mm. And that's another safety outlet, I guess, for patients is making sure they've got somebody there um, to bounce off if they need to. Mm. So having managed the clinic in the UK, where did you go next? Did you come to Australia directly after that role? That's right. And then what were you doing here? I started working for Allegan. Okay. Yeah. Which is where I met Dave. Yeah, not a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. just fresh off the boat or plane. I really literally was. That's and right. your role specifically was? I was a BDM, yeah. so a business development manager. So what does that mean for our listeners? Mm, for our listeners, that means that I would look after clinics. So I had about 35 clinics that I would call on. 
And I would help them with everything from their business processes right through to their injectables at that stage. So back in the day when I started with Allergan, a rep did everything from fillers to botulinum toxins right through to business as well, Wow, yeah. which was, um, it was a great role and a really good way to learn a busy. lot. As I said, really busy, but it was a steep learning curve. As I said to you, the, the industry was so different here and so dynamic and people were doing so many different things. And the expectations on the reps too were really, really high. And I find that's still something you see quite a lot of. Mm. People expected you to teach them everything. So how am I going to run my business? Um, what do I need to bring in here? What tools do I need? How do I do this? And also teach me how to do everything. So where do I inject and how do I do it? Not yeah. everybody, but I still found there was a huge sense of that again, to really develop clinics from scratch and, and make them very successful. So I guess touching what you were saying, there is still isn't a formal way of learning how to do this. There Many is, clinics mm, and, and practitioners sort of find their way. They do. But there isn't a syllabus. Not one that you have to do. So there is a few deployment programs that are out there and there are it's certificates. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And there are some certificate courses that are out there. But again, it, it you don't need to have that formal training, I guess, to get into this industry. So you're really relying on your employer and what opportunities they can give to you to, to really be trained. Yeah, in-house training and mm. professional So that's when you get... You know, you get a lot of disparity between skill level, experience, 100%. Um, because there's no standardised right. training program, which I guess is, might be part of the issue. You know, everyone thinks their training is the best or they're, they're more experienced or their background has more value than someone yeah. else's background. And that's what I think. And how do you prove it? Mm. You know, how, how do you prove that you've got a lot of experience and how do you showcase your technical abilities? If Particularly if you're not social media savvy, you see a lot of people out there who, who say they're brilliant and they've got amazing, you know, a following and Instagram pictures and everything. But really, technically, I know other people who are phenomenal, but they don't have that presence. So it's such a hard one now to showcase your experience and how good you are, um, you know, and, and as you say, there's no, there's not a lot out there that you can do to continue that. There's not a lot of ongoing education within the industry. And we're very, very reliant, I think, on companies to provide that support to us um, or our employees and hoping that they, you know, they spend time in mentor. Yeah. Um, so how long were you with Allegan for and did your role change? It did. Because you came and then you left and then you came back. Yes, and, okay. I did. Back and forth and back yeah. and forth. Couldn't get rid of me. That's right. Um, I moved very quickly into a clinical specialist role, which was only doing training and it was advanced training at that time. Mm. So I managed that for a couple of years and covered Australia and New Zealand, which was amazing. The experience I gained in that was just... just travelling as well. Oh, every week we were on a plane, that's right, to someone new. But, um, you know, I, I was so lucky. I got to see so many different practices and so many different ways that people did things. And it wasn't, um, I guess, as standardised back then and as probably as regulated. So there was a lot of really interesting things coming out of it and we had some great, you know, doctors and things come across and showcase. So it was a really privileged time. And then I left to have a baby or two actually. So um, I went back at that time and worked for... Um, a clinic again, doing injecting as a as, as a consultant, I guess. I'd, I'd go in and do my thing with Michael Morishnik, who's a plastic surgeon in um, Bondi Junction. Great. Um, and at the same time, I was still, still doing a lot of contracts for Allegan, filling in gaps, doing trainings and things like that, which was great as well. So that was just injecting, no lasers this time? Just injecting. We did have a laser portion to the business, um, but we had a dermal therapist who usually covered that. So we would refer and um, onto her to do the actual laser treatments. 
Okay. And you mentioned the role clinical specialist. Can you just mm. delve into that a bit further? So yeah. what, what, what did you offer people? So it was at the time the clinical um, role was an advanced practitioner's role. So, for example, if you'd learn your basics in botulinum toxin and you'd learn your basics in fillers, we would come in um, at a com- when your competency level was higher to show you things like tear troughs and um, jaw work and cannula work and kind of more advanced procedures. And the second part of that role was also looking after or helping the BDMs and mentoring them in a basic level of clinical ability. So going back to exactly what we said, how did you gauge if someone was good enough to do the advanced stuff if there's no syllabus? Such a good question. And it was really, really hard. And more often than not, you'd walk in and someone would you'd present or say they were very competent only mm. to find that their anatomy just wasn't there. And I think that's the other thing with competence too. What is competence? Is competence holding a needle? Is competence actually injecting and getting an outcome? Or is competence understanding the anatomy and understanding the interactions of the tissues and understanding you know, the, the actual science behind the choice of filler that you choose and all those types of things. So, you know, people would have different level of competence, I guess, and it was really gauging very quickly where they were up to, um, you know, and where we should lead them safely, um, but at the same time give them an experience which they elevated their, their skill set from. And there were a few awkward conversations. You're not quite ready for that. Yeah, well, look, you'd be nice to be able <laughs> yeah. to say that. I guess that's the thing too when you come from a company perspective. Look, there's always something that you can show people and that's the thing with training and education and, you know, it might not be the advanced technique that they were after but you can always show them something and it's maneuvering I guess that training session into giving them something to walk away with but at the same time is safe for the patient and safe for um, everybody who's involved really you don't want to put um, people in a position where they're not understanding the why behind what they're doing and I think that's the big part there is why are you doing this what are you seeing and what are you affecting if you do this and that's the big learn for most injectors. So how did you learn to become effectively a teacher because you've gone from injecting to managing to teaching. It's a quite an impressive portfolio that you've built up there. Thank you. Just, I've been lucky, I guess. Um, and in a management position, you are teaching and mentoring every day. And also too, when you're working with patients, you are teaching them something. You're teaching them how to sometimes even shower again. You're teaching them how to change their dressings. There's always some portion of teaching and you've always got junior staff around you. And I think that's actually really another nice reason to start in a hospital or clinic setting because there's different levels um, of practitioner around you. And so you're either always learning or you're always teaching. So Mm. you learn to be very responsive to that and, um, you know, how to break down something that's quite complex and difficult to drip feed it to somebody so that they can take that away and do it themselves. And from a patient perspective, you're doing that every day in a hospital setting. Yeah. Um, Was there any difference in working in injectables with Dr. Moroshnik versus Mm. Harley Medical Group? Any, like, had fillers progressed to a more interesting... What's like 10 years in between? Absolutely. So between babies and Allergan and back and forwards, it was probably a good, mm, yeah, probably five or six years um, in between that time. And as I said, coming to Australia, they're more progressive anyway. So certainly, you know, cannula work, all those types of things that at the time back in the UK weren't being readily used were very, very valuable here. Um, working with Michael was amazing. He is a, he's a phenomenal plastic surgeon and he knows his anatomy brilliantly. He's also really good with mentoring and was always there if you did have a question to ask him. But in the saying that, he was it was very independent. So I ran that space. I didn't work for him. I, um, I guess was contracted. My services were contracted to him. So we worked in partnership, which was really nice. Um, but yeah, it was a really independent role. He was great in upskilling in areas. I'd always say to him, look, you know, teach me more about this. I need to know more. And he was very good with that, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but it was a really nice independent role where I could just really, I guess, um, take everything I'd learned from Allergan, look at it all and just really, I guess, 
uh, practice and make sure that I had that skill set not only in theory but also in practical as well. So it was a great couple of years to get back in and, and really utilise that skill and remember what it's like to be on the other side. I think too when you work for a company as well, it's you've got free product and it's a very, very different atmosphere to when you're speaking with someone in person and they're your patient and it's their journey and it's a very different emotional connection with a patient mm. and it was really nice to touch base on that as well, get was, back to that. Was it difficult to pick up a needle again after not was it like was was there like a like a you know a period of you know reacclimatizing yourself or that the dexterity and all that was it or was it just like riding a bike you like riding a bike in saying that i did make sure i treated friends and family first <laughs> just to make sure <laughs> all your that, guinea pigs yeah a few <laughs> guinea pigs i was like free treatment coming sorry mum, i dropped your eyelid well, yeah. sorry about that that's right but look i think you know you've got to go back to the why and yeah. the great benefit i had of working for a company for so long and and having you know that experience is that i understand the anatomy and i understand the why and i understand the aging process so i can really ascertain what it is that i need to do and therefore the injecting is actually the smallest part of it. Mm. It's your assessment, your consultation and your understanding. And once you've got all of that there and you've chosen the right product, injecting really is that pattern and that's what we were talking about Mm. before. You can teach someone to inject. It's all the other stuff that they need to understand really well to get a really good patient outcome. Have you noticed any difference between doctor and nurse injectors? Forget the country, just as a generality, is it it different treating those different uh, professionals? From a training perspective? Yeah. I mean, do you find, you know, the stereotype would be the doctors think they know it all? (laughs) Uh, Have you noticed that or not really? Look, I haven't. And I know a lot of people might say differently, but I've found that people are either willing to learn or they're not. And that doesn't matter if they're a nurse or they're a doctor. I find people, if they want you to be there to train them, um, generally they're very open to skill. I would say that it's probably a little bit easier in some cases to teach a nurse because they really, really listen. But in saying that from a skill set perspective, doctors you've usually used a lot more cannulas and things like that. So technique-wise, I find sometimes they can be a bit quicker to pick it up. Mm. It doesn't matter mean that they don't get to the same stage eventually with injection skill set. Um, but certainly they come from different backgrounds. And again, it depends where they've come from in the hospital setting and what their background and training has been and, you know, where they've where they've had their rotations and what where they've spent time and how dexterous they are and mm. you know how good they are with fine motor skills I think is the other point of that as well. So if you had someone who like had an anaesthetics background who might be really confident with needles and cannulas yes. or someone with surgical background. 100%. That's exactly right. And then you've got people who don't. So, that's you know, me. there you go. Of course, that's you. Couldn't that's help exactly himself. Right. I know. <laughs> Back to Jake. <laughs> that's exactly right. But look, it comes down to, are you open-minded? Do you want Magic to learn? Magic hands, they're called. Yeah. Magic hands. Yeah. Crack all, me all the right reasons, yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> Dropping Where the tone again, David. <laughs> oh, no. Um, getting back oh, no. on the point. Um, <laughs> I had a question and I've forgotten it. Oh. Um, yeah, where do you see the cosmetic industry going? I mean, anti-wrinkle treatments have been around for seemingly years now. Dermal fillers, most people have heard of. And, you know, I think the the statistic is 8% of people in Australia or women have tried some sort of injectable treatment. But where can we go from here? Mm. Is Mm. surgery dying or is it just going to be a lot more distinct? It's a really good question and I guess it probably led me on to my next job, which is what I'm doing now in lasers. And what I realised is that the skin is just such a massive part of it. And like you say, people are really good with basic skincare. Um, they understand botulinum toxin, anti-wrinkle. They're, they're great with fillers, but there's just so much sun damage in Australia and there's so much more that we could be doing. I also think holistic health and inner well-being will... T- 
be a big part of it moving forward. We're, we're talking about integrative health and the GP world and, and all those types of things. And I think that's got to come across into the cosmetic. Yeah. We had um, Fiona Tuck here a couple of weeks ago mm. talking about nutrition. So she came from a skincare mm. background um, who's gone on to then become a nutritionist and talking about, you know, how this all sort of needs to fit 100%. together. That's you know, what exactly you do internally right. is as important as what you do externally. That's right. And I think mm. that's where the cosmetic industry needs to go as well. I think we need to realise that internal health and external health are linked. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's really important that we do both and that we look after the skin and that you look at how we age. And, you know, someone who looks after themselves and exercises well and, and nourishes their body with the way they eat and, and how they live their lifestyle they're always going to look better than someone who doesn't, mm. you know, generally. And then you can enhance and tweak and, and, and do all those things as well, but the results are going to last a lot longer and their skin's going to be of a better quality because of the way they've looked after themselves. So tell us about your new role. Mm, so I'm working for a company now called uh, Cineron Candela. And two companies that joined together? Yeah, that's that exactly right. got the double right. barrel name? You did. Okay. So Cineron was a company right. and then Candela was a company. Now they're a joint company. So Israeli. Uh, that's yeah. right. Cineron's yep. Israeli. That's exactly right. Shalom. Um, yeah. People. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Our people. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. And for me, working in the injectable world and with my background, um, I just didn't understand skin. And there was certain indications people were walking for and I'd think, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Mm. You know, what do I do with acne scarring? And gosh, what is that lesion? Pigmentation. Is it? That's right. Well, what is it? Let alone Tricky how lines do I under the it? eyes. 100%, 100%, all these things. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do for that. And I think, again, looking at layering the, you know, the way in which we treat people and the holistic nature in which, you know, we treat people is really important. And my learn or my need was to understand skin a lot better. So I've been really lucky to pick up a role where I can really um, dive into that head first and, and get a better understanding. So what are you doing there? Yeah. Mm, yeah. So I'm the medical um, affairs manager, which means I run a team of five educators um, and they spend their time educating on lasers and, and, you know, demonstrating and training similar to what um, my background was originally. Um, I've got a big APAC footprint, which is really nice. I spend a lot of time um, user meetings working with our Asian colleagues. And that is wonderful because the way in which we treat people has to be different. And Asian skins are very, very different to a Caucasian skin and very hard to treat. A bit unpredictable too, from what I've seen, can... Someone that looks like a Fitzpatrick one or two may hyperpigment. You're like, what? Yes, wow. that's right. And it comes back to your genealogy and also, mm. you know, your background. So when we talk about skin Fitzpatrick or what colour your skin is and how we treat that, we generally look at someone's face and go, you look like this. But the reality is it's your ethnic background and how your skin is going to react to a treatment, not necessarily the colour that's sitting there that you see at, at, at that point in time. So, you know, and there's just so much we can do with technology and people want no downtime and they want to have great skin and they want to have everything done at once and to combine everything I think is really you know really really important everything yesterday for the lowest possible price no downtime <laughs> no side effects yes. yeah yep 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 that sounds about right that's exactly it so no look I think lasers have got a big future I think that um, the no downtime side of things we're really moving into technology now where we can achieve that really really well um, we've got some you know great things coming out picosecond technology is huge and what was that sorry picosecond technology so um, um, they not get of away with that you have to explain yeah. that. Oh. I saw the first um, Pico Shore, I think it was, types, uh, for tattoo removal, I think it was. Sure. So, yeah, Pico Shore is a brand, um, right. you know, of Pico Second Technology. And there's Pico Way, which is um, what we have there as well, um, our Pico Second Technology. But basically, if you look at lasers, the way that they generally treat pigmentation and, and I guess, you know, tattoos and things like that is they pick up, they heat the actual pigment themselves and it destroys it. So, thermo, um, photothermolysis is what it's called. So, light, heat, destruction. Yeah. So, the problem with that is you don't necessarily only heat the target. 
When you look at picosecond technology, the wavelength is delivered so quickly that it almost smashes and breaks up the target as opposed to heating it. So it's an acoustic way of looking at treatment as opposed to a thermal way of looking at treatment. And because of that, not only are we picking up smaller particles and getting better clearance of results, it's also safer on a darker skin tone as well. So really, really huge treatments with um, picosecond technology in Asia. Um, And we're seeing that really come across into um, Australia and New Zealand as well. So for tattoos or for like any pigmented lesion? Pigmented lesions, tattoos, anything with colour we can certainly fix. So melasma, which is like the golden, what do we do with melasma? How do we fix it? It's like the bane of so many people's existence. Exactly, exactly. don't know where it comes from. 100%. Actually, it's interesting to melasma. A lot of uh, people get it when they have hormonal changes. So heal, pregnancy. Yeah, that's right. So a lot of it's hormonally related and there is a lot of good research to show now why melasma happens, but how do we treat it? So there's an internal approach, which is really, really important. There's a hormonal aspect we need to look at, but for the actual leftover pigmentation now, we've got some really good ways to treat these types of things and acne scarring is another one it's so hard to treat this so picking up on the redness of the scarring and then decreasing the size of the scar is something we can do as well so all of that in combination i think means we're looking more holistically at our patients um you know and skin's important you know big lips and you know big cheeks they might go out of fashion but good skin it's not going to go out of fashion so i think it's really important that we look at that and we look after our skin and it's been really nice to as i said dive into that and, and learn a bit more I mean, you know, I'm a cosmetic doctor and I have no idea about half of the machines and lasers out Mm. there. How does your company communicate the messages and technology to, you know, the prospective clients that you would have? Yeah, that's a really good question. Obviously, you know, your your general trade shows and things like that where a lot of um, magazines, I guess we have a big presence in that we've got a lot of educators out there. So most people have heard of us Mm. and certainly our background. Um, Most people, I guess, getting into the industry will have some type of technology that they want to invest into. And at that stage when they start that, guess investigation process we really engage with and then to look at that um there's a lot of education process that goes on and as and, and most of the lasers done in australia if we look at the more low level actually done by dermal therapists who are fantastic with skin and that's what they're trained in so i think to your point you know as a cosmetic physician and even as a nurse you might not have a lot of access to actually doing a lot of laser which again was very different to the uk in the uk a lot of the laser was done by nurses so mm. i think we had a really good handle on that and really enjoyed that process but as i said technology is becoming bigger here now and you know we are understanding what we can do with it and you know it's growing and the technology is getting better and better do you agree that i don't know a few years ago or five years ago you know there are a lot of these these machines are on the market and they promise you know your cellulite will be gone sure promise you the world and hand you an atlas it's just not really the case i mean do you think the technology really is at a level where we can sort of almost as predictably as cosmetic injectables say we're going to get you from a to b yes it might take a few sessions but it's 90 percent guaranteed look it really depends on the indication the consultation and the patient you're working with so if i for example um, have melasma and that's caused from hormonal um, issues and i have a baby i'm probably going to get my melasma back so it's really important that you're really honest with patients i think Mm. also too the same with cellulite we can certainly get results on cellulite and great results if you are probably within your bmi you have a good active lifestyle and you look after yourself Mm. um you get your pigmentation treated you go straight back out in the sun guess what's going to happen the pigmentation is going to come back but that's the same with injectables yes 
If you go in and say, I only want one mil and I want you to fix absolutely everything, it's not going to happen. If you have the expectation that one mil or two mils of filler is going to give you everything you need and you're never going to have to come back again, that's not a realistic expectation. So I think, you know, the technology works and it works really, really well. Yes. It's the consultation. It's how we promote it. It's it's who we use it with um, that gives us those good outcomes. And that's the same with everything we do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't treat skin that regularly, but I've found that clients, like you said, they they're so impatient to get the results. Yes, that even patient, if you, patient. Well, yeah, and and if you <laughs> give them uh, the most basic advice, like you need factor fifty sun cream, yes, and uh, you know avoid X, Y, and Z, they just don't want to do it. Yes, they just want a pill or a potion or yes, injection. Sure, and so. I don't know, I've always stepped away from skin just because of it's so difficult and so tricky to manage people when they're out of the clinic. Whereas an injectable treatment by and large is the result was delivered on the day or it will evolve sure. without them doing anything. So mm. how do you manage basically the client or, or the patient? It's a partnership. And I think that's what you have to say to them. It, it, skin is an ongoing partnership. And, you know, I think we've gotten really good at it discussing with people that you've got to come back three times a year for your botulinum toxin. You've got to come back every six months to maintain this wonderful, you know, outcome. But we need to do the same with skin. And you actually find there are some people who are brilliant at doing it. And yes, the changes are slower. I do agree with you. And that can be a bit more frustrating. But if we think long term, again, good skin mm. prevents aging tenfold. Um, you know, we're not fixing problems. What we're doing is maintaining and preventing. And I think having that conversation about prevention and saying, your skincare, we're going to get the skin right. And then we're going to prevent it from getting worse again. And that's where your factor 50s and things come in. Mm. So do you think you'll see a decrease in surgical procedures such as facelifts, neck lifts. Mm, absolutely. So that, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there'll probably always be a place for There them. needs to be, yeah. 100%. But, okay. That's right. And I think as the technology gets better, and I remember talking to a couple of plastic surgeons who say, look, the ideal would be to not have to do facelifts as often. Mm. And, you know, you think about 10 years ago, people weren't refilling jawlines. They weren't, you know, looking at structural changes with filler. And, and now we do that quite regularly and we get great results. So we're pushing off that facelift and we can do the same thing with um, technology as well. With our lasers, we can induce a healing response. We can induce um, great, you know, changes with collagen, elastin and, you know, hyaluronic acid within the skin with devices, which is, again, is going to maintain that skin for a lot longer, mm. meaning surgery, we're either pushing it out um, you know, and combine that with fillers and botulinum toxin, we've just got this great way of really preventing and holding on to that um, youthful look for a lot longer. So I guess you'd, see, I guess from a business opportunity perspective, you know, things like plastic surgeons who specialise in facelifts, this would be, you know, a primary area for them to move into is actually start integrating do. this technology into their practice. A lot of them do. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. So you'll, you'll find generally with a lot of the surgeons, they will have a nurse or a couple of nurses um, who come in and do these types of treatments. There's threads, there's so many other things that you can add in um, prior to surgery. So And also too, once you've had a facelift, you still haven't fixed the quality of the skin. You may not necessarily have fixed the structural elements behind you know how the skin sits, so the bones. So a lot of plastic surgeons will utilise filler um, as well. I know Michael, he would use a lot of filler in the chin. For example, if he was doing a rhinoplasty, usually they had a, a deficit in the chin. So he chose on a lot of occasions not only to use, say, a um, you know an implant, but he might actually choose to use filler and say to the patient, you need to come back every couple of years to maintain this. So I think a lot of surgeons are doing that already. And they generally do have some type of device within their practice that they can utilize. And I think you will see a lot more of that. Again, it's holistic. Look at all the layers. How do we fix everything to get the best impact for our patients? Do you sometimes find it difficult to get that message across for someone that's so surgically minded to yeah. then go, hey, I can do this with something that doesn't 
even go under the skin? Like, is there sure. like, do you find that challenging with some people or everyone's pretty open to it? I've had some great sessions with a lot of plastic surgeons and actually I found they're really open to learning. I think as a trainer, as a nurse, probably that's the most intimidating thing is to walk into a plastic surgeon and they know what they're doing and they understand the anatomy better than anybody can. And and that's great for me because I learn from that as well. But they do want to look at new technique and for them, you're really discussing not the why, they understand the why, but what the product is and what it can do. And then really just watch and learn from them and, and see how they utilize that product as well. And a lot of our learning and particularly my learning comes from that you know here's a product this is the benefits of it this is what we can do this is what it mimics or the tissue we we think it interacts well with what do you think what, what can you do with this and it's a really nice way to learn um you know but at the same time showcase you know the changes and the other thing too is medicine evolves constantly in every arena of medicine and that's why we love it and that's why i think a lot of us who are in medicine stay in medicine because you know something new is always going to come out and anyone who's stuck in their way and refuses to move on is not doing the best thing for their and patient left behind eventually you get left behind and it's the same in the cosmetic industry you must always learn if i was still doing now what i was doing 16 years ago filling a nasolabial fold and you know a little bit of lip line my goodness my patients would not be doing well so you know i think it's always going to evolve it needs to evolve all medicine evolves and therefore you want to work with people who um, continue to involve their practice as well mm. i mean I work with the plastic surgeon on a Friday and the clients that I would tend to stay away from and, mm. and maybe refer to a plastic surgeon are the very saggy skin sure. around the jawline or the neck. Yes. Do we I currently have the technology to deal with that non-surgically? I think some technology will give you up to 30% of a facelift. Right. However, that's not a facelift. So there is a technology um, with RF, so skin tightening that we talk about, microneedling and skin tightening. There's a, a product called Profound, a device called Profound that does that really, really well. And it can get up to 30% of a facelift. But that's not a full facelift. So someone who has a lot of excessive skin, that skin has got to go and you need surgery. And it's, yeah. it is what it is. And that's essentially what I tell people. That's exactly you right. You need a knife. It's, it's a little bit like um, pleating a, a curtain that's too yes. long. It's just got to go. It's got to go. Exactly right. And I have, think we've got a tendency to overfill people like that because we think, oh, no, you don't need surgery. I can fix that. Look, let me do everything I can. And that's where knowing your limitations as a practitioner and knowing your patient and what's best for your patient is really important. So don't fill them up with thousands of litres of filler. Um, send them to get their excess skin removed, then work on their skin and work on you know their structure and, and their volume and you'll get a beautiful result. But we need to combine everything holistically to make sure they get the best outcome yeah and, and like Claire, as you touched on it if someone does need a facelift they may still need their volumizing of absolutely. their cheek absolutely uh, absolutely because you're not fixing the fat sometimes they will do a fat transfer as part of that but generally you're still going to need that volume reinflated and you're still going to continue to age even though you've had a facelift so you know the volume still going to be depleted the skin is still going to be a lot thinner as it ages so we still need to work on these if you want the best outcome a facelift isn't going to fix everything like botulinum toxin isn't going to fix everything and neither is filler and neither is device yeah. but if you put them all together and you work on little bits at a time you'll you'll you know maintain what you have and you'll get great outcomes definitely it's almost like um you know the industry still feels very segmented so you've got like some practices that are holistic but sure. for the most part you might have cosmetic injectors over here then you've got plastic surgeons over here sure. and you know people who do lasers and you treat like it's yes it feels like it, there needs to be like everyone needs to come together absolutely, and, and that way the patients are going to have the best outcomes because then you know, you, as you said, your limitations, you go, look, I can do this up to a point, then you need to go and see Dr. XYZ totally. or this 
would just be, that's where it needs to go. And that's what we do in all medicine. So mm. if you come in and you see a GP and you've got some spots or pigmentation, you know, points that we don't know what they are, you get sent to someone who knows what they're doing. Um, and I think that's where a lot of personal accountability comes in. So you need to know your limitations, understand what you can do and refer on to people who are really good and really skilled in their craft to finish you know, yeah. what needs to happen. And there is room for everybody. I think you said before 8% of people have had filler. That's nothing. Mm. You know, we've got millions of people in this country. There's enough for everybody. But, you know, learn your skill and learn it really, really well and then know when you should be referring based on what your patient's needs are. Yeah. So I think, you know, a large um, cohort of our listeners are nurses mm. um, who may already be in this industry or looking to get into this industry. Beautiful. So I can't think of anyone that I know of that has more experience <laughs> than you. For someone that's looking to get into this industry, uh-huh. um, what would your advice be? Absolutely. Great. And nurses are brilliant. We are. No, look, I think about 70% of injected, injectors in Australia are nurses and probably even more so now. Yeah, I imagine um, be more. Even higher than that. I remember, you know, working for Allergan, we always used to plan about 70 to 75%. But, you know, nurses are a huge part of this industry and they're doing some really good work. So that's the first thing I want to say. Um, what I need to say secondary to that is, is, is what I've already covered, first of all, is when you're looking to get into this industry – realise a couple of things. One, that it's not overly regulated and two, that you're not going to be overly supported necessarily. So look for avenues in which you will be mentored, looked after and that you can really educate yourself really, really well. So partner with somebody who's going to really look after you is the first thing I'd say. Second of all to that is that take your time you know, I think there's this expectation now um, for nurses that you come out, you, you've you had no idea about this industry, you've never done it before, but yet you should be doing tear troughs, cheeks, draw lines, lips, everything, and you should be doing it very quickly and you should be very, very good at it. Mm. You know, and the only person who can slow that down is you. So learn your skill, learn your anatomy learn the products, have a really good understanding of, you know, the background of why things happen, the aging process. Why is this happening to people? What are they looking at? Then understand beauty. What is beautiful? What are we aiming for? And what is unique beauty? We don't want everyone to look the same. Once you understand that, take your time and learning. Start with your botulinum toxin and practice it and get creative with it. You know, yes, you can flatten lines. That's great. Excellent. But can you lift? Can you tailor? Can you, you know, do all these wonderful things um, that you can choose to do with botulinum toxin and then move on to your fillers? So, you know, I guess just take your time with it is what I'd say. Don't expect to know everything straight away, but also to, you know, keep learning, be mentored, work with people who encourage you and also to that you can feed off because that's the way in which we learn. Mm-hmm. I think there's that fear of if I don't know everything, I'm going to lose the client. Sure. And I've said that with a lot of new nurses, like, oh, I don't want to refer this person on to do tear troughs because they might not come back to me because they don't think I know what I'm doing. And that's that's the mentality that I think a lot of new injectors are faced with. And that comes down to your consultation. So I think in the way in which you talk about yourself and how you present yourself, because we talked about before, it's the experience. It's not just the outcome, right? And what I mean by that is if you give people a great experience and an honest experience and you talk about what you can do and you do what you can do really, really well, they will come back to you because they enjoy that experience and they're bonded with you. You would be, you know, everyone refers when it's beyond their capability in every other industry and we should be doing the same thing within the cosmetic. And if you have a strong mentor or you work with someone who's a senior, um, you know, who you've got a good relationship with, that's who you refer to, knowing that they will send them back to you. And I guess that was a great benefit for me working, you know, with, with Michael and really honing in those skills again for the second time when I went back to injectables is that there was things I just shouldn't do or can't do or don't have the skill set to do. And he would always refer them back to me afterwards. So I'm not losing a client, but I feel like I'm gaining um, credibility 
Yeah, you're, by actually referring on for things that I am not comfortable doing because of either the risk element, um, you know, or, or because it's beyond my skill because I haven't got there yet. And that's okay. We've got to own that and be responsible for our own practice. And remember, patient safety comes first. And you can blind people with these treatments or, you know, with devices. You can cause people permanent scarring. So if you don't know what you're doing, you've got to remember that, you know, a patient has come to you for to feel better, to look better for their health and well-being. And you've got to look after their health and well-being, which means putting them first yeah i totally agree with that learning how to manage people complications knowing your level of experience and expertise and being very clear with people to say i can't do that yes no, it's just as good say, as saying i oh, can do that that's right and learning how to say no and and i think we spoke about this at the beginning too a big transition for nurses coming into this world is learning how to say no yes. you know and and it's okay to say no and sometimes you should say no um not only because of your skill and capability because of what the patient is asking for um you know it's a very patient driven industry it's very different there's a lot of change and taking your timing it time in it and really understanding all portions of the process will make you a great injector. Um, and then the skill will come. You can learn the skill quite quickly. Learn the why. Learn the how. Um, understand the science. You know, work with a mentor. Have have great connections and relationships. Be honest. And work on you. As you, what, are you what are you giving to people? You know, what is your service? What is your skill set? What's different about you? It doesn't have to be just your technical ability. So work on what you want to be as a commercial entity um, and how you present yourself. And also be passionate. That's the other thing too. As I said, this isn't for everybody. It's hard. You're not going to come in and make millions of dollars and walk out and be a, you know, Instagram legend. Some people do, but not everybody. You know, it's a really hard place and there's a huge amount of competition. So, you know, really make sure that every stepping stone you take, you've got a sure foot on it um, and that you're surrounded by the right people. So in in my experience, and maybe you could qualify this, uh, a lot of people who have seen my transition from hospital medicine to cosmetic and they've sort of thought, oh, sure. I'll, I'll do that. that. That seems fun and easy, but maybe their motivation isn't quite That's right. there. Um, do you find people who you've met on your career sort of with a similar sort of thought uh, process? Absolutely. And I think that's true of anything. You know, they say now with vision boards and everything we should be doing, don't write the money, write what you want. What are you passionate about? And what is it that you're trying to get out of life? And the money will follow. Mm. And I do think a lot of people look across at this and go, oh, it's just beauty. It's really, really easy. And I'm going to make a lot Couple of money. Of injections. Totally. Anyone can do it. But the reality is the understanding and the underlying knowledge you need to have to be great takes a really long time to foster and be patient with that journey and enjoy it. It is really fun. It is a fun industry and there's so much you get out of it and the personality types, I guess, who come into it are generally really, you know, lots of energy and, and you know, it's super fun. So you will get that side of it. But, you know, if you think it's going to be a breeze and, and it's going to be easy, it's probably not the right career choice yeah, for you or you won't get great at it. You might be good, you might be competent, competent but you probably won't be great. Yeah, you'll just offer the basic thing but go back to your day job. Yeah. It's like a passion. Yeah, so exactly. it is. It's got to be passion and you've got to want that artistic skill, that flair. You have to love people and it's problem solving. You've got to love problem solving. You literally have someone sitting in front of you and you've got to work out what's going wrong. Why has this happened? How can I fix it? And what am I missing? And I think that's the other side of it as well. And then can I fix that? Do I need to refer on? There's so many things that you're thinking when someone sits in front of you that at the beginning aren't, I guess, logical or subconscious that you've, you know, learned, you know, learned skills. I think patients appreciate the honesty. Sure, you know, like I, I think people have got a pretty good bullshit uh, radar, radar yeah. these days. And, you know, in a world where everything's so 
you know, everything's so contrived. I think people really f- appreciate when you say, look, you know, this is the, this is what I recommend. This is the best yes. person for you to see. I think that people go, this person really cares about me, yes. you know, and it, it, rather than pushing the client away, you're actually developing a stronger relationship. hundred percent. And you've got to remember now, patients are educated. It's not like 15 years ago when internet yeah. didn't really exist. <clears throat> patients who come to see us now, they generally know, um, you know, they have a good understanding of what's going on. They've seen a million YouTube videos and, you know, some for very bad and some for very good, but they are educated, rightly or wrongly. They yes. do come in with a certain level of education and it's important that you can negotiate those conversations and really make them aware of, again, where it's right and where it's not right for them. And also, also the outcomes and what they're going to be for them because lips aren't just lips. Everyone does lips. It's really easy to do a lip. Apparently it's not. Lips are so hard and, you know, they're so hard to do. And I think, you know, taking your time on these skills and really just learning, appreciating, understanding the anatomy and thinking, you know, what's a reaction? Everything you do has a reaction. And it's the same with injectables. It's the same with device. It's the same for everything. If I do this treatment, what is the outcome going to be? What's the reaction to this? And once you've got all of that in your mindset, you can really start to do more advanced treatments um, because you've got that underlying understanding there. My mentor, Stephen Liu, he's one of many mentors. Mm. He told me that I had to be a psychologist with a syringe. So true. I think what I've learned... It's so true. ...in the second half of my 10 years of... or 11 years of doing injecting is, like you said, you can be you can train a monkey how to do some injections. Mm. It, it can almost be painting by dots. Sure. But it's the understanding of this person in front of you and what is their motivation? Yeah, why, why are they, they there? there? Mm. Are they really telling you mm. everything? That's right. Or are they actually holding back their fear? And, mm. you know, I don't think you can teach that. That's experience. It is. And, you know, you can learn cons- consultation skills, but it, it comes with time. It does. And like you said, you can't just go from one day not knowing how to do an anti-wick injection right. to being an expert. You just, it, exactly. Exactly. You know, just like you can't be a junior surgeon to being an expert in a day, it just doesn't happen. Absolutely. And it's exactly the same with this industry. Take your time. And remember, you haven't had that training in your your initial training. This is a whole new skill set, but there's so much you can bring from your training into this if we keep this holistic. So think about what you've learned, where you've come from, you know, your background, your understanding of patients, health, well-being, you know, illness, medicine, all of these types of things. And make sure that that's at the forefront every single time you're speaking to a patient, because I think it's really easy to get carried away with how fun it is and change and artistic ability and the reality is it's still a patient you know and and they need you to care for them just like they would with anything else and and right down to their psychology there is a certain element of people who come to you that are wanting you to fix their problems and they're hoping that if they look a little bit better it'll give them that confidence it might a little bit but it's a mask so really understanding again being comfortable saying no um, is really important but also understanding their motivation their, their emotional connection to why they're there and if you can meet that or if you can't because if you can't it doesn't matter what you do or how fantastic the outcome is, they're not going to be satisfied because they're not in the right headspace to be there. And how do you deal with those patients that you identify as having perhaps some underlying mm. psychological issues? I mean, we've got one of our guests coming up in the next few weeks as a clinical psychologist who works mm. a lot with surgeons. Mm, beautiful. Um, and I think that's a really important discussion to have. How, mm. how, how do you, as a nurse, especially someone that's quite junior, how do you deal with that identifying that, you know, me feeling this this void or getting rid of that wrinkle is actually not going to fix the problem. Mm. How do you how do you sort of combat that yeah, as a nurse? It's a really tricky one, and I think too we're so limited in our time and consultation. I think the best thing is not to push treatment. 
that would be the first thing I'd say is if somebody comes in and you just get a feel, you get that vibe or that intuition that, you know, they're not there for the reason to fix a wrinkle. They're actually there because they've got a deeper lying issue. Probably get them to think about it. Don't treat them on the day. That would be the easiest thing that I would say to them. Say, look, here's all the information. I think you've got a lot to think about. You know, you don't need to go into depth. You're not there to fix their psychological problems. But if you don't feel they're right for treatment, just don't treat them. It doesn't have to be a harsh discussion. It can just be, look, you know, I'd like you to go away and have a think about this. No, I want it now. And you generally find these patients, they want it now and they're quite direct on when they're wanting it so to be actually able to say look you know take this stuff away and have a think about it well the other thing is to refer on to someone you know who can work with this as well so as a junior nurse saying to them look you know I actually think you'd be really good if you went and saw one of my senior colleagues or went and saw you know dr such and such who, who's really really good at the the treatments that you're talking about um, you're not I guess jumping a problem on but you're, you're sending them to somebody then who can probably look at them at a more holistic view and really work out if this is the right treatment for them or not yeah I mean, having had Allegan training with yourself mm. uh, a little while ago, <laughs> that was when the concept of the MD codes sure. started to come out for our listeners. That's just mm. a, it's a technique of, I guess, assessing a face in a systematic way to mm. deliver predictable results, mm -hmm. but also taking into account in the consultation the emotional motivations yes. That's right. to why someone sat in your chair. And for me, that really has helped progress. Yes. Uh, unlocking what is it that they're telling me, mm, mm. you know, because a lot of people, aren't, they can't articulate what they want. That's right. They might think a frown line is going to make them younger, but does it really? That's right. Or is it actually going to make them look less angry, but exactly. not younger? Yes. So explaining that to people, I think, has really um, helped progress, you know, my injecting mm. results as, as, as well as, you know, my rapport with clients. Mm. So do, do you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I think that underlying from and also too, although patients are educated, what they think might fix a problem might not necessarily. So they'll come in and say to you, I don't like these lines. So your nasolabial folds, the, the lines from your nose to your mouth. You go, okay, but actually they don't like the fact that they look saggy. So if you fixed what they said was the problem and didn't understand the fact that they feel that they look saggy and old, you're going to miss the boat completely. Mm. So if someone comes in and says, I don't like these lines, and you can say to them, well, you know, how does that make you feel? I feel old. People tell me I look old and I don't like to, I look in the mirror and I feel saggy. That gives me a much better indication as an injector what I should be doing as opposed to them pointing out a line that I should fix. Yeah. So if someone comes in and they look saggy and they're feeling old, I'm going to probably work on their structure, not necessarily the lines, which are the effect of the underlying structure, I guess, decreasing or um you know, not being as full as it used to be. So, you know, ask them, how do you feel? When you look in the mirror, what are you seeing? Not lines and wrinkles, but, you know, what is it? I feel sad. People tell me all the time I look angry. Um, you know, what is it that's brought them? What's motivated them to come in to see you? And it's never because they have a line. There's always something that's happened or, you know, some feeling. or birthday coming, exactly. divorce, 100%, that's right. And also it can be a really positive thing too. If someone comes in and, you know, they want treatment and it's because they're getting married in three months, great, you've got a timeline. You know, they want to look beautiful. They they, they want to feel fresh, you know, they, they want to have glowing skin. It gives you all of these indications as to, you know, what you can do to get them to where they need to be. Um, you know, so positive and negative, I think, emotional attributes are really, really important to understand. And also, too, are you fixing and restoring or are you enhancing? You know, there, there's so many different ways that we can approach this. Um, and the more you understand about your patient and their motivations, I think the easier it is to, to pick the right treatment for your patient as well and get a better outcome.
Do you ever see yourself going back into clinical practice? Oh, of course. You've got to go back and forth. I can see how I see your face light up when you talk about it. You're so passionate. Oh, look, you know, I think it's, it's always in a continual journey. And for me, what I love about working for corporate is that I learn so much mm. and I get access to the most phenomenal key opinion leaders and, you know, movers and shakers in the world. And I'm so grateful for all that experience, um, you know, and that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm on this really steep learning curve of understanding, you know, a whole area of, again, of medicine of cosmetic medicine that I, I wasn't aware of and also the therapeutic side of it as well. So, you know, for me, I think it's always a balance, um, but I never say never. You know, you're always back and forwards and, you know, see what we can do and practice that skill and, and get better and better. You might have your own super clinic one day. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Yeah, that's it. Everything, everything. That's right. Yeah, integrative wellness and everything, you know, and, you know, but that's the thing. And, and back to your question that you asked earlier, we need to start moving into that. And I think wellness is so important and general health is so important and your filler is going to last longer and it's going to look better and your skin's going to be better if we look at everything internally and externally. And that's the future I hope to see in cosmetic medicine. Um, and that's certainly the one that I'm advocating for. Great. Uh, so just to finalise, how can people find you in your role at Cineron uh, Candela? Mm-hmm. How do they access your team and maybe look into your machines, etc.? Yeah, if you just look up CineronCandela.com. How do you spell um, that? Just... Good question. S-Y-N-E-R-O-N dash Candela, C-A-N-D-E-L-A. Um, they'll find us there or I'll give you um, my email address and things as well. Yep. Sure, so Our listeners can all, also it. message us. Like a thousand, yeah. a thousand emails when you home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I'm open to email and conversation as well. I'm also on LinkedIn, um, which is another way to find me, really good way to find me as well. Um, and uh, Penny? Penny Timberlake. Timberlake. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, please feel free to send that's through P-E-N-E. questions. That's P-E-N-E. P-E-N-E, yes. I got thrown with that. When I first met you, I, I called you Pen, I think. Pen. I get a lot of variations. <laughs> Penne pasta. There's a lot of things that come through. So, yeah, it's not, I don't know what my parents were thinking. It was a bit of a shock. Hey, thing. are you Pen? Yeah, Pen, that's right. But, yeah, I know. But, yes, it's Penny, but it's spelled P-E-N-E, Timberlake, T-I-M-B-E-R. You're unique. As in Justin. Yeah. I wish. I wouldn't be working if I was related to him. I can tell you that now. Patting his brow down or something on the side of the stage. That's it. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been and see you again. I haven't yeah. seen you in ages. Yeah, look for you. It's been great. Thank you. Thank yeah, you we so enjoyed much. it. Thanks, Penny. Bye.